two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Okay. We're on. There we go. Hey everybody, and welcome to Politics, Culture and Some Other Shit, the Wednesday night live stream. I hope you're well, I hope a few of you can join me over on YouTube live and the rest of you, you want to get this in your your podcast app tomorrow. Um, yeah, it's been good. And don't forget, listen, um, if you're listening to this on your, uh, on your podcast provider, why did you not come over and join me on Patreon? That's good. You can help me. Yeah, it's easy enough. Um, you sign up to one pound, three pound, five pound, different tiers. You know the crack. You know what fucking Patreon is. I don't need to to do the thing. Um, so little updates. We'll, we'll hit the updates first. Um, the Bonnevilles are playing in Belfast on Saturday in the Deer's Head. If you want to come and see us, that would be class. I'm going to put the theme on in the background. I like that playing in the background while we talk. That's how my brain works. Um, we're playing with NASA Assassin. If you haven't seen NASA Assassin, they're fucking amazing. Old buddies of ours. And, uh, sorry, I'm fucking about with a microphone here. Give me a sec. So you have to come and see us. Go to... Uh, the Bonnevilles.co.uk and you'll get the links for tickets or if you don't want to buy a ticket if you're not a tickety person you can uh, you can just rock up on the night it's at the deer's head doors are about 8 o'clock I think uh, something like that it's going to be a lot of fun hot and sweaty really looking forward to it so that's yeah so head over to the Bonnevilles.co.uk if you fancy that um, what else Updates, updates, updates. Oh yeah, so I bought a new microphone. And I tweeted this out. I bought. I'm not. I don't have it yet. It, it should be with me tomorrow. I'm really excited about it. It's called an Aston. I'm gonna be using it in the studio for music, obviously, and for for this. Um. And the reason it, it they're made in England. They're made and designed in England, and I like that. And I'm gonna talk about that more. I'm, I want to do a wee bit of research on that. Not everything has to be shipped abroad, you know? And uh, just just to sort of prove and illustrate that the, the, the shipping of manufacturing away, abroad, is a choice. It's not necessary. So uh, these guys can make high-end microphones and still make a profit. And, you know, that's what we need to be doing. So... There we go. That's all. I think that's all. And then next week we're playing Kilkenny Roots Festival. So if you're down in Kilkenny, or if you fancy coming down, you should come down to see that. It's on the, uh, next Saturday. And it's free. We're actually playing two shows. And they're free. So you should come and see us. Okay. So, let's get into this. So tonight we're going to be talking about... Um, the most evil politician in Britain. It's pretty Patel. And I, I mean... I do fucking hate this woman, and I don't use that word lightly. I really do despise her. I think it started with her smirk. You know the way she smirks? She's got a twisted face. Got this big thing going on. And I really don't like it. But, obviously, that's an aesthetic thing, which um, I can uh, get over. Live chat. Oh, there we go. That's better. Sorry, just checking something on YouTube. But she is genuinely a horrible piece of shit. So we're going to talk about that. But first, I'm going to hit you with the the shorties. Let's call them that. The little up, the little small stories. Although they're not small at all. They're huge. But I decided to do the Pretty Patel thing. And then I'll get into it. But Damo, uh, who's one of my patrons and uh, uh, a follower. And we communicate on Twitter. Uh sent me loads of stuff and it was brilliant and it sent me down a wee fucking pretty bitch face rabbit hole so Demo thank you very much for for uh, all the <laughs> all the files that you, you apologised for he says if I'm, if I'm bombarding you he says don't worry about it <laughs> so but thanks it really helped brother it really fucking helped so the first thing we want to talk about is tragically 
Um, if you've got any, there's a few. See, there's a few of you that are on the YouTube. If, if you get any comments you want to make on this, do just get them in there. Um, Julian Assange's extradition has been granted today, and uh, this is tragic. He's going to. So he's been sent to America. Now I was listening to Richard Medhurst live today while I was out driving when I was working, and. Um, he was talking to a guy, I think it's some Simon Gonzalez, something like that. But he's he was um, extradited from Spain, and he ended up having to get some special uh, diplomatic forms signed, guaranteeing for from the U.S. guaranteeing that they wouldn't put him into special called special administrative orders or something like that it's basically where they, put, they can keep them in solitary confinement basically it's a euphemism for torture and uh, they signed it the US signed it and then ignored it once they got him over there they just did what they wanted to do to him and the, the, the fear is among Julian Assange supporters that uh, that's going to happen to him and as you may know Assange is in a deteriorating physical condition. He's had a stroke while he's been in Belmarsh Prison. It was a maximum security prison in London for all the worst types. And he's been kept there purely for the reason... For what reason? Because he leaked uh, files that exposed American and others war crimes, mainly in Iraq and Afghanistan. And if you've ever seen, I don't know if you've ever seen the video, the collateral damage video, you should go and take a look or try and find it. You, well, just Google it, you'll find it straight away. It's it's genuinely horrifying and it shows you the video footage from an Apache helicopter where the pilots and the communications between the pilots and the people at the base who they were communicating with uh, and... The communication between when they did then and the moment that they decided then to open fire on what turned out to be just a few civilians and um, a couple of Reuters journalists and the casualness with which they murdered these people was is genuinely genuinely terrifying genuinely terrifying but uh, yeah so and he's been chased and prosecuted for that ever since so here's a little news report from Talisir today explaining. In the United Kingdom, a British issued an extradition order against journalist WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange to the United States. The Westminster's Magistrates Court in London issued a request to the UK's Interior Minister Preeti Patel to proceed with the extradition of Assange. According to experts, the cyber activists' defense team can still resort to the last appeals of the case. The Australian activist and journalist risks 175 years in prison in the United States for disseminating secret Pentagon files which exposed war crimes committed in Iraq and Afghanistan. On Wednesday, dozens of Assange supporters gathered outside the magistrate's court to demand his immediate release. In the United Kingdom, a British so, issued an extradition order against... That was all breaking up my earphones. I hope it wasn't breaking up for you guys. Um, yeah, so as you heard there, the guy said that... Um, so it's gone through the appeals court. It now then, well, it could basically goes... He'll be thrown at the, to, uh, to the mercy of the British government, pretty Patel and Boris Johnson. <laughs> and I don't fancy his chances, so... Even his most uh, positive of supporters don't th they think he's doomed, basically, because it it is it is a death sentence for 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 him, and it's very sad. It illust it represents an attack on journalism, and you know what's so fucking weird, the lack of uproar from the establishment media. I know they're the establishment media, but the, but it's still the media. They're still journalists, and the lack of uproar from them is is fucking bewildering. It really is. I don't understand, but you know, there you go. They're 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 weighing in behind the empire, and they're not going to stand up for him. They're going to let the man get carted off to uh, 
an American prison. And that's terrible. But there we go. So that's hopefully, you know, we live in hope that that's not going to be the end of him. But I think I fear it will. Um, next, what's the next thing? Um, oh, yes. <laughs> so the shorts, these little shorties that I'm reading out to you, that I'm showing you, and then the main story with Pretty Patel, they're all linked. Everything's all kind of linked. I've kind of linked everything. It's to do with foreign policy, refugees, asylum seekers, corruption, etc., uh, etc., et these sorts of things. And I've sort of wrapped it up. I've given it an evil face. And the evil face is that of Pretty Patel. But um, they are all, there's a general, there's a little piece of connective tissue among them all. So I hope that all sort of works out for you. It works out in my head, whether it works out in real life is, not, is another thing. So the next little shorty here. So I, got, I don't know how this, this was, so I don't know if somebody sent me this. Or, no, I don't think they did. I, don't, I just stumbled across this. It was a little tweet. And... It said, why would America ruin this paradise for Libyans? And it's re referencing the breakup of Libya and the, the bombing campaign that went on. Uh, the NATO-led bombing campaign. Which, you know, not NATO, the US-led bomb, leads NATO, NATO by the nose, as we know. So, it says here, so someone's put this thread up. Well, it's not a threat, it's a picture. Is it Sarah Abed, 21st of April, 2017. There was no electricity bill in Libya. Electricity was free for all its citizens. There was no interest on loans. Banks in Libya were state-owned, and loans were given to all its citizens at 0% interest by the law. Sorry, I just remembered why it was sent this. John McKeever sent me this. Thank you, John. Sorry, I forgot. Um, Number three, having a home was considered a human right in Libya. All newlyweds in Libya used to receive 60,000 dinars, £34,000, by the government to buy their first apartment to help start a family. Education medical treatments were all free. Before Gaddafi, only 25% of Libyans were literate. Today, the figure is 83%. If Libyans wanted to take up a farming career, they would have received farming land, a farming house, equipment, seeds and livestock to kickstart their farms, all for free. Right? So... Get, and then someone replied here, Cory Moore, it's a big heart in Irish, isn't it? It is, yeah. Uh, Gaddafi was in the process of setting up a gold-based Bank of Africa that would give low-interest loans to African nations, cutting out AMF, etc. That food subservience, that food subservience on those nations, therefore he had to go. And do you know, the, isn't it very similar kind of thing that what's happening at the minute with the thing with Russia? Where they're setting up an alternative uh, interbank system from SWIFT with, they're going to set it, they're setting it up with China, sort of being forced into speeding that up from what I heard this week. So somebody says here, somebody answered the question, so to be clear, you're asserting this is a fact and that Libya was better while Colonel Gaddafi ruled it following his coup. And she says, yes, that is what I'm saying. Gaddafi was no angel, but he hadn't targeted civilians, and his florid rhetoric, excited by critics, only attacked those who had taken up arms. He even promised amnesty to those who abandoned their weapons, with no civilians to protect NATO led by the US, bombed Libyan government forces and installations and backed the insurgents' offensive. And now, Libya is three countries. Fighting, fighting among themselves for dominance. There's three separate governments. There's open slave markets. So that's what... That's what you're you're getting at in 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 Libya at the minute. It has been for a few years. So, which brings me to my third shorty. Now, this is a piece of footage sent to me. Well, I, say, I was actually doing the rounds, but it was sent to me by Elpner Dignam on Twitter. Um, so thanks for that, man. Uh, and it's of Claire Daly. So Claire Daly is an independent socialist MP, uh, MEP, uh, an Irish MEP, one of the 12 Irish MEPs. 
and she went off. She's an, she's an anti-imperialist, anti-war, uh, very vocal in that department. And she went off on one in the European Parliament. So let's have a listen, see what she says. Grazie, Presidente. So the EU solution to the war in Ukraine is more war. Pile in the weapons, splurge on militarism, threaten to engage in all-out economic and financial war against Russia. So the same things you were doing already and expecting a different result, the true definition of madness. How is not selling Kerrygold butter to Russia going to save any Ukrainian lives? How is buying filthy fracked US gas going to stop the war? They won't, of course, because nowhere have sanctions ever succeeded in ending a military assault or achieving regime change. But what they have done is unleash economic devastation. This time round, which will be paid for by the people of Russia, including those out protesting against the war, and increasingly being paid for by the citizens of Europe, facing massive energy price hikes, inflation, and a catastrophic decline in their living standards. Talk about shooting ourselves in the foot. And of course, this moral outrage at Russia's illegal war, which has sparked this lunacy, is in sharp contrast to the lack of any such scruples in terms of the illegal US wars in Iraq or Afghanistan, which we not only didn't condemn, but we actually joined in and continue to do business with them all the way. No such scruples about Saudi Arabia's genocide in Yemen. And even as the victims of those conflicts in the last few meets, weeks meet to desperately seek financial pledges for their humanitarian crisis, they're being left short by billions, while we're happy to spend billions prolonging the war in Ukraine. Makes me absolutely sick. Seven weeks ago, German's Chancellor Schulz correctly said, peace in Europe cannot be won against Russia. But that's exactly what we're doing. Yes, Russia bears responsibility for this conflict. Of course they do. But we cannot ignore the role of NATO. And the EU, instead of promoting peace and acting in the interests of the people of Europe, the Ukrainians, the EU citizens, and yes, the Russian citizens too, has become a tool of NATO and the military-industrial complex. What is needed is an end to the conflict, an end to militarism, a ceasefire and a negotiated settlement. We should restore our role as a diplomatic one of promoting peace. Anything else makes us complicit. There we go. Let me just... I got a little message there from Thomas Clark that my mic was a little low, so I've changed it, buddy. If you could let me know if that's any better, it should be. I just went back to my old mic. <laughs> so that should work. Thanks, Morris McElwain, as mad as a happy badger. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll take it. You know what? I'll fucking take it. But listen, um, the point is with Claire Daly. So Claire Daly and Mick Wallace got uh, a lot of shit for that. Um, uh uh, what do you call? Uh, well, for for expressing that point of view, and I would, I don't know what it is that they said that was wrong. I I, I am struggling, and we get it. Russia bears, as she says, bears responsibility for this. But flooding Ukraine with weapons doesn't seem to me, Tony G. She's a formidable woman. Fuck me, is she not? Um. It, it doesn't seem to me that you know, flooding Ukraine with weapons. I, I was listening to, again, Altner Dignam sent me a podcast that I listened to today, and Claire Daly said in it, it is so obvious that the last thing the Europeans, us Europeans, the EU, should be doing is this. This is clearly working in our against our self-interest. You know, we've been through this twice in the 21st century war, or the 20th century war in the continent of Europe. It's absolutely fucking insane. I don't understand. And the people that are going to pay the ultimate price of this is the Ukrainians. The, the Ukrainian people, the normal Ukrainian people. There's bad guys here, there's bad guys there. I'm not here to excuse any of, the, any of that. We all know. We all know what, what's going on. But the Ukrainian people are going to be massacred. And they are being massacred. 
And as they keep saying, you keep hearing this, they're prepared to fight Russia to the last to to the last Ukrainian. And uh, yeah, yes, Thomas Clark. I'm glad she mentioned Yemen too. She she is and Tony Gervin there, my mucker. It's good to see you the other night, by the way. Tony was at our gig in Cookstown. So I'm going to play that again because it's worth listening to. If that's okay with you, certainly I want to listen to it. So check it out. Grazie, Presidente. So the EU solution to the war in Ukraine is more war. Pile in the weapons, splurge on militarism, threaten to engage... And I'm going to stop her there. This is Chris Hedges. You know what I think of Chris Hedges. Chris Hedges calls us a bonanza for the armourers. And by the way, there's, a, there's actually, a, 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 it's actually mentioned in Shakespeare, something about that, about, you know, and, and the armourers will do well from this. That's what this is. And then I heard somebody else mention today the withdrawal from Afghanistan by Joe Biden seemed to go very smooth. He just sort of did it. And no one, the, the, the military-industrial complex didn't give off. They didn't stop him, which surprised me. But instantly made me worry. I was, I was like, wait, if just, these guys are not just going to accept not getting this $780 billion dollar defense budget poured into their bank accounts every year what's going to happen this was it so they're trying to create another afghanistan or vietnam for russia in europe it's insane an all-out economic and financial war against russia so the same things you were doing already and expecting a different result the true definition of madness how is not selling Kerrygold butter to Russia going to save any Ukrainian lives? How is buying filthy fracked US gas going to stop the war? They won't, of course, because nowhere have sanctions ever succeeded in ending a military assault or achieving... Never succeeded. Sanctions have not worked. Cuba has been under sanctions since 1961, I think, 1961. It's still, still there. Sanctions do not work. It is the ordinary people that will pay the price. Change. But what they have done is unleash economic devastation. This time round, which will be paid for by the people of Russia, including those out protesting against the war, and increasingly being paid for by the citizens of Europe, facing massive energy price hikes, inflation, and a catastrophic decline in their living standards. Talk about shooting ourselves in the foot. And of course, this moral outrage at Russia's illegal war, which has sparked this lunacy, is in sharp contrast to the lack of any such scruples in terms of the illegal US wars in Iraq or Afghanistan, which we not only didn't condemn, but we actually joined in and continue to do business with them all the way. No such scruples about Saudi Arabia's genocide in Yemen. And even as the victims of those conflicts in the last few meets, weeks meet to desperately seek financial pledges for their humanitarian crisis, they're being left short by billions, while we're happy to spend billions prolonging the war in Ukraine. Makes me absolutely sick. Seven weeks ago, German's Chancellor Schulz correctly said, peace in Europe cannot be won against Russia. But that's exactly what we're doing. Yes, Russia bears responsibility for this conflict. Of course they do. But we cannot ignore the role of NATO. And the EU, instead of promoting peace and acting in the interests of the people of Europe, the Ukrainians, the EU citizens, and yes, the Russian citizens too, has become a tool of NATO and the military-industrial complex. What is needed is an end to the conflict, an end to militarism, a ceasefire and a negotiated settlement. We should restore our role as a diplomatic one of promoting peace. Anything else makes us complicit. Bravo. Couldn't agree more. Now, I was listening to this podcast today with her and Mick Wallace, and she said, and you know, she says the EU was set up as a peace organization for a very good reason because we were we couldn't stop fighting with each other on the continent of Europe. But all of but Germany is now 
Germany's now increased its defense budget to two percent of its own GDP, which makes it, which is going to make it the third biggest military on on Earth because of this war in Ukraine. We're now getting fracked, dirty fracked gas from the U.S. The Nord Stream Two pipeline was shut down. Why does Europeans having to pay through the nose for American products? How does how, how did we end up here? How did I end up not being able to put oil in my my oil tank, not being able to afford it? It doesn't make any fucking sense. We're being we're being played like a fiddle by the U.S. Everyone thinks the Americans are stupid. They're far fucking from it. They're playing 4D chess with the rest of the world. It's an, it's unbelievable. But anyway, so there's... That's a little short. I've gone on far too long with the shorts. I was only supposed to be going for a couple of minutes with those. But, you know, such is. Stupid is as stupid does. Let's get to the main thing. It's pretty Patel bitch. Oh, yeah. So, as you know, Pretty Patel has announced plans to send asylum seekers, refugees, migrants crossing the English Channel, whatever you want to call them, to Rwanda for what's been called offshore processing. So here's a quick article uh, on the BBC, which is typically woolly. Uh, what is the Rwanda asylum plan and how many people cross the English Channel? The government wants to send some asylum seekers to Rwanda in a bid to reduce the number of migrants crossing the English Channel. The UK charities, charities have called this scheme cruel and the head of the Church of England said it is opposite of the nature of God. Okay, that's bizarre. Put that one in. The five-year trial, costing an initial £120 million, would see some asylum seekers sent to the Central African country. It is thought to be aimed mostly at single young migrants who arrive in the UK through illegal, dangerous or unnecessary methods such as small boats or lorries. Prime Minister Boris Johnson said those who arrive illegally since the 1st of January would fall under this scheme. Is it illegal to send migrants to Rwanda? New powers? Well, I can answer that now. Yeah, it, if you change the law, then no, it's not illegal. And that's... So, under new powers, under the Nationality and Borders Bill, would make it easier for the UK to send refugees abroad. So... Uh, but the UK is a signatory to two key international treaties guaranteeing refugee rights, the UN Refugee Convention and the European Convention on Human, Human Rights. Uh, are migrants already sent to Rwanda? The UN has an agreement with Rwanda for it to receive refugees and asylum seekers from other African countries who are in Libya. The voluntary scheme is meant to allow those taking part to resettle in third countries, return to their home countries or stay in Rwanda. Um, yeah, so I'm not got one on the head. So wait the... <laughs> They've got a, the best. I think the best way to, to, to come into this is who is Pretty Patel? So Pretty Patel is the current Home Secretary. Now here's an article from Galdem. <laughs> so it's it's actually typed. So I actually searched when it, when I went looking for for when I was researching this this podcast. I typed in something into Google, like all the terrible things that Pretty Patel has done. Just that, and like this article came up, and it's really good. Um, and it's called "Every Everything Horrible Pretty Patel Has Smirked At, Said, and Done." And this is by Roselle Jackson Stern from October 2019. So, and it just it lists everything. I mean, she is a monster, man. Where do you hear this? You're not. You won't believe how bad she is. She's so fucking... She is genuinely fucking awful. And she just smiles. She does that smile thing. Oh, I'm going to play you some videos. I struggle watching them because she's so fucking vile. But right, here we go. So here's the article. It's in... It's in a... It's a... 
It's a publication called Galdem.com. So, skin folk are not always kin folk. In her latest series of scams, current Home Secretary Pretty Patel has been thrown into fresh embarrassment after being accused of smirking <laughs> on telly. Oh, I didn't see the link. No, sorry, give me a second. Oh, I, I should have downloaded that video. Ah, it's too late. So, she's been accused of smirking on telly in response to the consequences of a no-deal Brexit. <laughs> I, is that not just like a resting face? Is that not just what she, she... She always looks like she's smirking. However, what Pretty's face happens to be doing at any given moment should be the least of our concerns. A pundit for diversity in Boris Boris's cabinet... Pretty has made a political career out of spouting rhetoric indistinguishable from her right-wing white male peers and questionable use of government funds. Mm-hmm. We'll, we, you get, we'll get into that in a sec. She was elected a Conservative MP of Witham in May 2010 after her career as a lobbyist. In recent years, she has found herself in cabinet rotation of the flaming dumpster fire that is the Conservative government first serving as an employment minister under David Cameron, a hard Brexiteer and anti-immigration advocate. Pretty has suffered a number of greater political pitfalls during her career than her, f- than her facial expressions. Okay, that's badly written. Here is a breakdown of all the horrible things she said and done during her abhorrent political career. Now, this is up to 2019, so this is three years more on top of this. <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, it's it's shock. It is it's nuts. So, former career in voting record. She was formerly employed by the PR firm Shadwick. She worked for the British American Tobacco, notorious for funding the brutal Burmese dictatorship in the early two thousands and exploiting child labour in Nigeria. <laughs> Fuck me! I'm not laughing at that. I just find her so fucking comedically bad. And then the first thing in in the article, she worked for British American Tobacco, notorious for funding the brutal Burmese dictatorship and exploiting child labour. There's about another 30 of these. (laughs) Fuck. In 2013, Pretty voted against same-sex marriage in England and Wales. She voted against the banning of the detention. She voted against banning the detention of pregnant women. She's been a supporter of the death penalty, telling BBC Question Time in 2011 that it would deter crime. She later backtracked on these comments. For 50 years, Private Eye has pretty much in most issues exposed a miscarriage of justice and a lot of them have been murders. Over the years, large numbers of these cases have been found to be entirely wrong um, and the men convicted, um, almost all of the men, there's a couple of women, have been found innocent. Um, so we would have killed those people and in some of those very high profile cases which involve terrorism cases, we would have made very dangerous new martyrs by executing people who turned out not to have committed the murders involved. So on a purely practical basis, whatever you think it says about um, the civilised nature of your society or not, I think it would be incredibly dangerous to have capital punishment back. Are you influenced influenced at all by that argument of Um, miscarriages of justice? No disrespect, Ian, but I'm not. Um, On the basis that I think, you know, this, this is really about our criminal justice system, actually. And I think if any, you know, for any conviction, for example, you need ultimate burden of proof. You really do. And that means that... But that's his point, that they, that they find these mistakes all the time. Well, I mean, that's... Are you saying they, they were guilty, all these people? No, I'm not saying they were guilty. Obviously, I'm not. So not they would be cases. dead? No. The point, they would? Well, the point is, as I said earlier on, this is about having deterrence. You know, if you have strong deterrence of that nature It's not a deterrence, well. killing the wrong people. Well, no. <laughs> capital punishment is actually a deterrence. Sorry, okay. 
You were, your voice was lost. The point the that I'm making is that to have capital punishment, that would act as a deterrent, and that is, that is the first point here. The second issue is, this is actually about our criminal justice system doing what it says on the tin. So you have to, you know, before anybody is sentenced, they've got to have full proof. They really have. You know, in the case of Troy Davis in America as well, you know, that was a case that went to court. They were convinced they had full burden of proof there. They really were. Now, that's a matter for them. But in any case, in this country, if capital punishment was on the, on the statute books, for example, you'd need to have complete and utter burden of proof. But, uh, just, in I these just, cases? Justin. Justin. I, I, I'm interested to know whether there's any evidence that it is, in fact, a deterrent. There whether is evidence. It isn't. Um, that, that would be my one point. Other than that, I completely agree with Harriet. So, there's pretty... <laughs> so she's for the death sentence. Quell surprise. Okay. So that's a part of her voting record. The next paragraph is entitled Corruption. <laughs> In 2017, Pretty was fired from her position as International Development Secretary for conducting 14 off-the-book meetings with Israeli ministers and business people. She didn't notify the PM at the time about these meetings, causing her to lose her job. Israeli officials were undoubtedly interested to meet with her because she controlled some of the funding the UK gives to Palestinian organisations. Making the unofficial nature of these meetings even more egregious, there's nothing like conducting a little freelance foreign relations to prop up one of the, mo the, no the most notorious human rights abusers in the world. And I have a little video about that, but I haven't loaded it, so I'll put it in a second. Before she left, however, pretty leveraged an 11 billion dollar 11 billion pound aid budget as a trade incentive to make business deals with other countries in time for brexit it is illegal for the uk to explicitly use aid funds in this way but that didn't stop the former industrial development secretary from using the government funds to further national interests her legacy as an uh, international development secretary also includes using the same money to support big businesses and the comfortable middle class in foreign countries. She funneled hundreds of millions of pounds worth of UK's aid budget into corporate ventures. This includes setting up five-star luxury hotels and shopping malls in Nigeria and investing in Chinese online gambling and restaurant chains. She attended Ascot as one of the tycoons she met on her shady trip to Israel reaping the, with one of the shady tycoons reaping the benefits of cozying up to rich businessmen. As Home Secretary, she broke ministerial protocol for the second time by serving as an advisor for Viasat, cashing in a hefty £1,000 an hour. The ministerial code states that former ministers have to consult the government advisory positions before taking up business appointments within two years of leaving the role. But hey, what's a little corruption when you're best mates with Boris Johnson? So, Wow. This is, this is unbelievable. Immigration policies. In a speech at the 2019 Tory party conference, the Home Secretary announced that she had a particular responsibility at this moment in time to end the freedom of movement of people and instead will introduce an Australian-style points immigration system. Pretty is supporting the government's right-wing immigration reforms labelled... Em well, this is from 2019, so you can see that she's actually pushed ahead with all of this because this brings us right up to... Uh, today, Pretty is supporting the government's right-wing immigration reforms labelling immigrants who try to re-enter the UK after deportation as foreign criminals. In the same speech, Pretty declared that the slaughter, the slaughter, the, sorry, as the daughter of immigrants, she needed no lectures from the North London Metropolitan <laughs> Liberal Elite. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's funny, that, isn't it? Political commentators have pointed out the coded anti-Semit anti-Semitic language used here to garner support for anti-immigration reform. Nazi dog whistles aside, this comment weaponizes her identity as a woman of colour to enact violence on black and brown people. From one dangerous tyrant to another, she compared herself to Margaret Thatcher, stating that if you make the British people your compass, your direction will always be true. Blech. In 2015, she voted for stricter immigration policies. These include forbidding asylum seekers to work if their application takes longer than six months, and restrict support for those whose applications were denied. A bedfellow of Theresa May's host, hostile environment policies, pretty backed 
the immigration bills of 2014-2016, including... Okay, that's... So, this is a part of Galdem's Bad Politician series. So, I'm actually going to... Oh, whoa, brilliant. Oh, that's good. I like that. So, there's a whole big page there of this stuff of all different politicians. So, I'm going to... I'm going to get into that. But I'm going to see if I can just load this video real quick. Just bear with me. Um... And it's of her getting sacked. There we go. This is it. Preeti Patel arrived at the back door of Downing Street, her government career hanging by a thread. The International Development Secretary was hauled back from an official trip to Apple. There we go. Put it back. There we go. Preeti Patel arrived at the back door of Downing Street, her government career hanging by a thread. The International Development Secretary was hauled back from an official trip to Africa to face her boss, Prime Minister Theresa May. Moments later, Patel resigned. She was forced to apologise on Monday after holding 12 secret meetings with Israeli officials, including Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, all while she was meant to be on a family holiday to Israel in August. It also emerged she discussed giving some of Britain's aid budget to the Israeli army to help wounded Syrians being treated in the Israeli-occupied Golan Heights. On Wednesday at surface, Patel had visited an Israeli field hospital in the area, despite protocol against British officials travelling there. The UK doesn't officially recognise Israel's presence in the territory, land seized from Syria in the 1967 war. Further revelations followed, including details of more undisclosed meetings between Patel and two Israeli officials in September. The Al Jazeera investigation, the lobby, recently revealed close links between Israeli embassy officials and conservative members of parliament. A report in the Jewish Chronicle claimed the British government knew about Patel's meetings and that she was instructed not to declare them to avoid embarrassing the Foreign Office. Downing Street says the claims are false. The departure of Priti Patel now leaves Theresa May with one less ally in government. Patel had backed Theresa May in her bid to become Prime Minister. She's also a firm Eurosceptic, a keen Brexiteer. Without her, Theresa May could struggle to deliver on her key Brexit promises. Without any strong central control, people are just making policy on the hoof in departments and and it seems very clear that cabinet responsibility has it to some extent broken down and unless steps are taken to restore it she's in government but not in power at london's madame tussauds a serene looking waxwork of the prime minister's receiving final touches the real mrs may's battling multiple crises Several of her cabinet ministers have been embroiled in sexual harassment scandals. And the Foreign Minister Boris Johnson's under fire for misleading comments that could extend the jail term of a British citizen imprisoned in Iran. Patel's downfall diverts some attention away from Johnson, but many are wondering how long Theresa May can keep a brave face. So there we go. Well, no, not much longer after that. <laughs> oh, well. Boo-hoo. So... Yeah, so a few comments here on the YouTube. Um, after that list, Demo comments. Hey, Demo man, thanks for the info, by the way. Um, all the stuff you sent me, very appreciated. It just doesn't get into her thick skull. I don't think it needs to. That's the fucking problem. Because she keeps getting away with it. You know, if there was any consequences for these people, they wouldn't keep making these mistakes. Let's put air quotes around that. Mistakes. They're not mistakes. They're they're bulletproof. Uh, Tony Gervin and Johnson brought her back and gave her one of the highest cabinet positions, no doubt, because she'd do the stuff she's doing without a second thought. Fucking right. Exactly. That's it, man. Demo, the Rwanda processing scheme is even too hostile an environment for Theresa May, the architect of the hostile environment for refugees. Well put, brother. No bigger prude than a reformed <laughs> Tony Gervin, they're your words, not mine. <laughs> not disagreeing with me, I'm just saying they're your words. So on the so the Rwanda Theresa May as Demo pointed out there This was too hot for her. She didn't want anything to do with us. Now 
I don't know if that was because she genuinely doesn't want anything to do with it, or if it's because her and because she sacked Patel, so they've obviously got beef. But here's a little here's Patel and May going at it in the House of Commons just the other day. Theresa May. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I say with respect to my right honourable friend, and from what I have heard and seen so far of this policy, I do not support the removal to Rwanda policy on the grounds of legality, practicality and efficacy. But I want to ask her about one very specific issue. I understand that those who will be removed will only be young men, that families will not be... Uh, well, the Home Secretary is shaking her head, so I've obviously misunderstood the policy in that sense. But if it is the case that families will not be broken up, and the Home Secretary is nodding, does she not believe, and where is her evidence, that this will not simply lead to an increase in the trafficking of women and children? Yeah. Yeah. Mr Speaker, I'm very happy to meet with the Right Humble Lady to discuss this further and actually give her further information on Calm down and listen. I listen, think now, listen to the way this fucking arsehole talks to the. It's, uh, she's just a bitch. Almost, just on the policy, the policy is legal, and there's been a published MOU that speaks very, very clearly. Very clearly. Well, you're not even listening, so there's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out the MOU very clearly in terms of the legal... If you're interested in listening to responses, and please do, um, that, that there, is, there is an MOU that has been published which spells out in full detail the legalities, but also the nature of the agreement. Now, I think the right honourable lady would respect the fact that I'm not going to come to the floor of the House and speak about the eligibility criteria, because she will know, because actually, if I may say so, Mr Speaker, the, the right honourable lady will know very, very well that actually it's that type of criteria that is used by the smuggling gangs to then effectively exploit various loopholes in our existing laws when it comes to various issues such as legal action that is undertaken to prevent removals, some of which, if I may, Mr Speaker, just add, there are many members opposite that write letters to me frequently to say, please don't remove some of the failed asylum seekers, but also foreign national offenders, people that have actually got no legal basis to remain in our country. So... Her and May are going at it, which I personally don't give a shit about. So, now, why, we, we know that this is all connected to the Brexit, the anti-immigration Brexit thing, right? You know, Pretty Patel, her own parents were immigrants to the UK, and she's just, you know, she's very, she's just guilty of being one of those people to put a ladder up behind her. So how many, so I, I went searching and I found the Migration Observatory, website, uh, the University of Oxford, and the nationality of people seeking asylum in the UK, the top 15 most common in 2020, because that's when they have, it's the latest, next update, May 13, 2022, there you go, so number one was Iran, number two was Iraq, Three th so Iran was 4,199, Iraq 3,281, Albania, Eritrea, Sudan, Syria, Afghanistan, and the list goes on, Pakistan, India, El Salvador, Nigeria, Vietnam, Bangladesh, China, Turkey. Now, a lot of those countries you may notice, I, I would say all of them are uh, heavily interfered with by countries like Britain. But there's there was one there, it's not on the list, because it's they don't go to the these people don't go to the UK in particular numbers. Although, I've, yeah, it's kind of weird. But Somalia was the one, and I googled it, and there's a, there's there's a lot of Somalian refugees, right? Because there's a civil war going on there at the minute, and I googled American uh, American military in Somalia. And the first thing that came up on Wikipedia was American military intervention in Somalia, 2007 to the present. U.S. airstrikes in Somalia, 2007, 2008, 2000. There's a list of them. So every year from 2007, the U.S. has been bombing Somalia. It's, it's, extens it's an extensive list with the dates. 2007, January 7, January 9, January 23rd, June 1. March or 2008, March 3, May 1, 
etc., etc. And they're ever increasing each year. There's more and more and more. By the time you get to 2016, you're talking 15, 2017. You're 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 up to 20. I'm just scanning through these. By the time you get to 2018, it's it's you're looking 30 or 40 there. 2019, they're just increasing, increasing, increasing. So my point is this. If you don't want to create refugees, this is my opinion, if, if you don't want refugees, stop creating them. And we do create them. So the other one here is British troops in Somalia. It's called Operation Tangum. This is now, this is from 2019. The fight in Islamic, Islamic extremists in Somalia to help restore security and stability in the region. Uh, this is getting back to Claire Daly's comments. You know, how do you create peace by sending in soldiers and weaponry? This is, it's it's very basic stuff to me. And it also, you have to ask the question, when you say Islamic extremists, you must understand where these so-called Islamic extremists came from in the first instance. You know, the Mujahideen were backed by the by the CIA. They turned into Al-Qaeda. They, they morphed into ISIS and I don't know. All the rest. You know, the way that we get on, we're talking about this, the, 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 we're looking at what's going on in Ukraine at the minute. It's it's it, it's heartbreaking. But we, when we talk about it, we talk about it as if it appeared out of a bubble with no connective tissue to anything that ever went on in the past. The same thing when you're talking about Islamic extremism, you're talking about refugees coming from, like, well, the clear one there is Iraq and Afghanistan. Afghanistan was bombed back into the Stone Age and as an American general said at the beginning uh, it was already in the Stone Age when they started bombing it and now we're trying to stop refugees coming to the UK it's it's fucking nuts Um, just on another one here another little video for you while it's in my head so Sammy Wilson our, our lovely Sammy, he is in favour of the Rwandan policy. Have a listen. And Colm Eastwood sits behind him, and you can just hear him at, just at the end of it saying, of course you are. <laughs> so have a listen to this. Hand over huge amounts of money to people trafficking and the desperation of those who hand over huge amounts of money and risk their lives to get into the United Kingdom. And therefore I do support the Secretary of State's aim and object to wreck this. Of course you do. <laughs> you hear him just at the end. But Sammy said something that was kind of important there. It's the way it's been framed. So they frame it like uh, it's being framed. Yes, we're looking after, we're concerned about the well-being of the people that are being brought here by these evil uh, traffic, uh, people traffickers. They, they couldn't give a shit. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the, the people traffickers aren't horrible. I don't know, I've never met one. But the, 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 the idea that Sammy Wilson gives a shit about these refugees for, 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 for the sake of their humanity is laughable. It really it is beyond fucking laughable. So we'll bring this to an end and then I want to finish on something quite funny and it's again just on another website I've got here it's called Iraq Body Count now I don't know when this was last updated because the website does look quite old it looks like it was from 2003 total violent deaths including combatants 288,000 from Iraq what the fuck do you think is going to happen seriously uh, another little article from the Gar- the Guardian. This is current. Uh, well, November twenty one. Home Office covering up its own study of why refugees come to the UK. Ministers argue that accepting asylum seekers creates a pull factor, but are refusing to, to release their evidence. So there, there's it's a sort of a snake eating its own tails argument they're making when they're saying the very fact that they're accepting that they accept asylum seekers creates a pull factor for other asylum seekers to come. So, now, the logic goes, 
I've heard it said that w- one of the many reasons that someone would want to come to here or pass through France, which would, which would why would someone cross through France or Italy or Spain to get to the English Channel to come to England? Well, because they know people. Because they know people in England. Maybe they speak English. Maybe they don't speak French or Spanish. Or, like, there's, there's a myriad of reasons. But when asked to present its evidence, the government doesn't present it. It's just a talking point. Uh, that in this instance, it, in this occasion, it was Dominic Rabb talked about reducing the pull factor in an attempt to justify the government's controversial plans for offshore. At that time, they were talking about the uh, asylum processing centres in Albania. At the same time, one of if you if the, the eagle-eared among you will notice that um, third on the list of asylum seekers, nationalities of asylum seekers coming to the UK, third on the list was Albania. Go figure. I, I don't know what that is. I don't know. I, I can't figure it. There's, there's no logic. <laughs> I don't get the what they're trying to... But So, nearly done. So that's that. I'm just sort of clearing the scheme down here, or my screen down a little bit. Um, R. Kane said about the Sammy Wilson video, and it's something that, that it's it's so easy um, to... It's so easy to... Uh, say about him he says you get and it's what i said about the dup all the time myself i'm sure you do too you get it wrong every time every single time you get it wrong it's like how do i feel this time brexit feel covid feel northern ireland feel attitude towards northern irish northern nationalist irish nationalist field sammy should just resign i wish he would but you know he won't so um Again, the number of asylum seekers granted asylum in selected European countries in 2020. This is the latest figures that I could get. Germany, 128,000. Spain, 124,000. France, 86,000. Greece, 26,000. Italy, 40,000. Sweden, 17,000. And so on, so on. And UK is, what is I think it was around 20,000. Again... I googled this, couldn't get the number. I'll just do it right now. How many asylum seekers did UK accept in 2020? Let's just see what comes up. 2021. People seeking asylum. 40,000 main applicants in the UK, 63% increase from the previous year, so 20, so that's less than, so it was about 20,000, I thought I thought it was around a 25,000 mark for 2020, so because I, I seem to remember getting that number, so it's, let, so it's a 60, 21, 2021 was a 63% increase on 2020, so that's two thirds for, let's be generous, let's say 20,000, it's not quite, now that's asylum applications. That doesn't mean that they were all accepted. It doesn't mean that everybody got um, to stay. And so, the last word on the asylum seekers comes from the British Red Cross. And the article is entitled, it's not an article, it's just a paragraph. Are they living on Easy Street? It is so hard to picture what life is like for an asylum seeker in the UK. Some Newspapers talk about five-star mod cons, while others write about dirt and grime. And do they jump in front of you in the council house queue? Are asylum seekers put in top hotels? Short answer, no. Asylum seeker arrives in the UK. They're unlikely to know anyone here or have anywhere to go. The Home Office will house them in an initial accommodation centre. It's a temporary measure before they moved on somewhere else. But the pressures on the system mean that sometimes these centres are full. Barracks, hotels, and B&Bs are used as overspill. So on and so forth. So, there we go. A demo. The Rwanda processing scheme is even too hot. Well, we've read that. Uh, <coughs> Tony Yervin. Albanians love Norman Wisdom. They probably think England is still like his movies. <laughs> That's right. He was a huge star. That's right. He was a huge star in Albania, wasn't he? Yeah. Demo was expecting a drum roll there for the asylum seekers. Total reveal. 
<laughs> I know. But I couldn't actually find a definitive number for it, to be honest. I'm sure it's out there. I probably just typed it in wrong or missed it or something. Because I am a bit of a half wit. Let me just... Oh, I did find it. There's the article there. I knew it did. That's the fucking article I should have read out of my dick. So... Last year, the number of boat crossings risen by 61%. The number of boat crossings. Okay. Uh, this is quite... Yeah, that's the article I should have read, I think. But not to worry. So, we're going to continue this Tory bashing. For that's what this is, basically, right? And... We're going to give the final word again. It was um, Demo sent me this. So, I do appreciate it. Because uh, we got talking about Liz Truss on Twitter. And it was pretty fucking sad. <laughs> so, so Demo sent me a couple of these. And this was fucking hilarious. So this is Liz Truss. I didn't... Do you know what, Demo? I didn't realise just how... How dumb she, she appears to be. Because I, I, I don't think I'd actually ever seen her speaking or really just, you know, just bits and pieces on the news or whatever. But this is her giving a speech. Some comedian has jumped in and pretended that he's sort of telling her what to do through an earpiece. So check this out. Of our own food. They think it's fine to outsource it. They're wrong. They're wrong. They are wrong. They are wrong. <laughs> we spoke about the gaps, Liz. Try to keep them shorter than the Yosemite Valley. We are growing wheat more competitively than the Canadian prairies. Choose the big moments to look directly into the camera, Liz, not when you've just rattled off some flimsy old chuff about wheat. And please close your gaps. It's so quiet out there. All I can hear is the dryness of your mouth. We import two-thirds of all of our apples. Do you hear that sound, Liz? That's the sound of a room full of Tories not caring about apples. We import nine-tenths of all of our pears. And they care even less about sodding pears, Liz. No one even likes pears. We import two-thirds of our cheese. You're talking to people with offshore accounts and illegitimate children. They don't give a flying fig about cheese injustice. Oh my God, I think the actual building is cringing. You're gonna have to break up the last sentence, you know, like an angry parent, just to make them applaud. That is a disgrace. Right, I think you're gonna have to end on some stronger points about <laughs> agriculture. You can't just keep talking about apples. Apples. You should see her face. on Isaac Newton's head. To the orchards of nursery rhymes. This fruit has always been part of Britain. You are the Minister for Environment, <laughs> Food and Rural Affairs. Stop spaffing on about British apples like a racist greengrocer. In December, I'll be in Beijing. Oh shit, not Beijing. <laughs> Opening up new pork markets. Look at her face. Look at her fucking face. Sorry Liz, you're done. You're dead. You're a meme. So uh, we're going to Plan B, everyone. Plan B. I am determined that our producers will have access to more markets and abroad, generating jobs and security for millions. <laughs> oh my God, brilliant. Thanks for that demo. I've been, I've been giggling at that all week. We should see her face, by the way. Those of you that are listening to this in the podcast, if you come to the YouTube, you can, you can, you can watch that. It's on. It's on the, the the video. Um, her face. She's really weird. You can see the moments that it says in her teleprompter smile, because she says a thing. There's a pause, and then this fake, sm clearly fake smile. You can demo says you can literally hear the wind whistling through Truss's ears. I did, they're so fucking stupid. Honestly, they're so un inhumane. As I said, they reminded me of those, I've said this a few times this week, those 
that movie, The World's End, when they're all going around all the bars, getting all the drinking, and they're, 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 the whole village has been taken over by aliens, and they're, they look like humans, but they don't, they don't quite know what to do with their faces. She's that, that as well. It's like a child, and Thomas Clark says, it's like a child looking out to man, dad, at play, and going, <laughs> it's, going it's going well in it. <laughs> Sorry, that again. It's like a child looking out to man, and dad, play, at a play, and going, it's going well in it. <laughs> exactly, man. Brilliant. It's fucking shocking stuff, isn't it? So, yeah. So there we go. Um... There was kind of a lot. There was a lot in that tonight. Confuses me. I think my takeaway from it is going to be um, is going to be it's going to be what it always is. For, I just don't want anything to do with fucking Tories. I don't want. They're they're clearly corrupt and evil. Now I'm not saying the Tories in Dublin aren't. But it always comes back to this for me. I can, if in a United Ireland, I could do something about that. I can't do anything about these fuckers, you know. And it's they're 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 just vile. They're beyond vile. So there we go. I'm going to call it, guys. Tony Gervin, and now she's a foreign secretary in charge of Brexit negotiations. Holy Jesus fucking Christ! Oh, it's shocking. So I'm going to call it. Um, that's me. If you can spare a thought for Julian Assange. And I don't, I don't, I mean, it's all we can do. We can just sort of lend our support and talk about them. And do you write letters to MPs? You know, you can do, but they're not going to fucking do anything out of that. Just to let them know your, your disappointment. Um, what else? Yeah, no, that's it. I don't know if this Rwanda thing is going to go ahead. Because they do do this. They do announce lots of horrible shit and then they, 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 they can back off from it. Once they've spent a hundred million of taxpayers' money on 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 the plan, so we'll see. Father Jack would call the Tories a shower of gobshites. Yes, he fucking would. Yes, he fucking would. Right. Well, okay, boys. That's it. And girls, I'm away. Uh, don't forget over on the Patreon. Oh, that was it. So, got a great interview for next week for you. I'm going to drop it on the Patreon first. Get, let you guys sit with it for a while. It's really good. Let you get some. I want you to get me some questions in, and you can go and do a bit of research on this one. It's a comedy thing, so I've, I've got I've got uh, an interview with a writer who's just done a, a a comedy play, and it's been it's gone out in the BBC on the radio. So um, I'll tell you all about it. It's really really cool. So I'm going to throw it up in the Patreon, and you guys on the Patreon can. Uh, Get your heads together and fire me some questions. It would be fucking great. And you can have a listen to the thing because it's actually published. So you can go and have a listen to it, to the radio play. <clears throat> I'll explain all that later. Listen, thanks for joining me. Really appreciate it. Um, stay well, everybody, and good night. <laughs>